Welcome to the Diabetes Revolution podcast with Dr. Sarah Townley, the type 2 diabetes coach, clinical pharmacist, and mom of seven angels. You don't have to struggle and fight with your blood sugars for the rest of your life. I'm here to teach you the skills you need to control and even reverse this disease. There is such a thing as getting off your meds and creating a future free from diabetes. And you can have it too. Let's get down to business. Hello, hello, my friends. This is your type 2 diabetes coach, Sarah Townley, coming to you from Billings, Montana. On a day that I was supposed to be boating because, (laughs) strangely, in August, the weather got really incooperative and decided to get cold on the weekend that we were supposed to go boating in Bighorn Canyon National Recreation Area, which is astoundingly beautiful. So that was disappointing. But guess what? I just scored this extra time to hang out with you. Aren't you pumped? (laughs) Um, I want to start by just answering a question that I got from a listener in Israel. And I won't say her name because I'm committed to privacy, but... (laughs) She sent me an email last night that was like, tell me what you're going to do to celebrate when you reach your goal weight. So I mentioned on the last podcast that I'm super close to reaching my goal weight. And I just want to say my ability to make progress toward my goal, I have noticed is really contingent on where I'm at in my menstrual cycle. So for you ladies out there, this might be super interesting, but you're going to be a little more insulin resistant right before you ovulate and right before you have your period. And so I noticed that there are two weeks of the month where the weight doesn't really want to come off. And that's okay, right? Because it's just a cycle. And I know that when I get to the next week, I'm going to see quite a bit of progress in a short period of time. So that's kind of cool to look forward to. And it just helps me keep staying focused on taking the action that I want to take. But I will probably reach my goal next week instead of this week because I'm about to ovulate. So I find that my clients really like knowing these kind of things. That's why I'm sharing the TMI right now. Um, just because there is a logic and a intelligence to your body and how it's designed. And you might notice too that your blood sugars seem to bump up a little higher, you know, in the days preceding ovulation or menstruation. And that's totally by design. Okay. So She asked me, hey, what's going to happen when you reach your goal weight? Do you have a way of celebrating that? Because I've noticed that I haven't done that very well for myself in the past. And I will tell you that I am a person who is very focused and goal-oriented, and I will often skip over the achievement of my goal if I'm not paying attention and just move on to the next goal. And that's kind of a bit of an anticlimax, right? Like you want to feel the feeling of accomplishment <laughs> and feel awesome when you reach your goal. And so it might be that you need to intentionally celebrate that. And it's so funny that she asked me that because before I even got started with this round of weight loss after baby number seven, I knew that I needed to put something in place from the get-go to look forward to as part of my celebration for successfully achieving my goal. So I decided it would be super fun to agree with my best friends who are doing this process with me, a couple of them, that we should go somewhere together on a girl's trip to celebrate our success later this year. I have this informal tradition with some of my girlfriends 
around my birthday that we travel. So that's in early December. So that would be perfect because it'll give me plenty of time to lose the weight and then plan the trip. And I kind of wanted to go to Sedona, Arizona, but it's a little too cold at that time of year for my liking. And I really want to be warm, right? Like winter in Montana, I want to be warm if I can. So I think I might opt for something like Palm Springs, California instead. So I'm sort of turning that around in my head right now of where I want to plan to go on this trip. And to me, The idea of hanging out with my best friends by the ocean or poolside, rocking a bikini and feeling awesome in it and maybe shopping a little bit for a cute outfit and then just going for like an awesome hike with my friends lights me up and is the perfect celebration to reaching my goal. Okay, so that is, if any of you are curious, how I plan to celebrate. And I wanted to share something amazing that happened with one of my clients lately that I think is going to make you really see what's at stake here and what's possible. So I had this client come hire me last year and I worked with him from March to August. And over the course of that time, he lost 25 pounds. He stopped two different medications that were chronic and saw his blood sugar fall by about two A1C points. But more importantly, he really saw his anxiety resolve his ability to accept himself improve and saw how to stop allowing his work demands to run his life, which really improved his quality of life. So he shared with me in the beginning and during many sessions, times where he felt sad or lonely that he had not found a mate and that he didn't believe it was ever going to happen. He'd had two serious relationships fail And he felt like he was getting really old. You know, he's in his mid-30s, and he thought if he lost weight, he might be more acceptable to date. And he decided that when he hired me, he wanted to finally just do this work for himself. I coached him many times on his beliefs around not being able to find a mate to show him how it was limiting him and stopping him from meeting new women and creating those opportunities to find somebody. So fast forward one year later, and I was opening up the mail a few nights ago, and would you believe it, I received a wedding invitation from him. I was over the moon, so excited, (laughs) and I just feel so joyful right now just talking about it. And then looking back over my notes from our last session together a year ago, I had written down what his desires were for his future, and number one was find a wife. That was his number one intention for the future. So this is so powerful because it's such a beautiful example of what happens when you allow yourself to become aware of what you truly desire. When you see what you want and be honest with yourself about wanting that, you can own it. And you have to own it to create it. That by itself is so powerful. You cannot intentionally create in your life unless you know and you claim what you want. And that can feel really scary, right? To say, I want to become an engineer or a CEO or a mother or a marathon runner or a person who doesn't have type 2 diabetes, right? Immediately, your brain wants to use your history against you. It will say, you can't do that. You don't know how to do that. You've never done that. In fact, here's all the strikes against you. 
And then you have to decide to be completely irrational or delusional and believe in possibility with no evidence, right? (laughs) It's downright crazy. And that's why we sometimes don't want to be honest with ourselves about what we already have created and what we want instead. We have to deal with all the judgments our ego mind has about what we don't have now and why we've created that and then why we can't have what we want. When you say out loud, I want to reverse my diabetes and get off all of these meds, your brain will say all manner of objections to why you can't have that. You should just expect it. That's what it's designed to do. It's designed to keep you where you feel familiar because that equates to safety in your brain. And then respond to your brain when it's saying these things to you by challenging it. So what? Right? I'm already in the worst case scenario. Like, what if I am successful? What's the cost of missing out on that? And then you can just agree to believe it's possible. I say, if all it takes to get what I truly desire is to be delusional, like, let's be delusional. How can I get more delusional? So now my client is getting married. It's a beautiful story, and I'm so grateful to have been here to witness it. Thank you for deciding not to believe your brain when it said you can't have that. Okay, so let's talk today about the how. How to reverse insulin resistance. Because we do need strategy. Like the last two episodes, I talked about the gift of planning for success. Following your plan is like this whole different skill set. And I spend a lot of time on this podcast helping you build that skill set. Because what's a good plan if you don't follow it, right? But today I'm going to show you the menu of strategies that I offer my clients when they are designing and implementing their plans. They're super customized, very individualized. Plans are living documents, right? They evolve with continued application, observation, and experience. And I love, love, love it that there are so many tools or strategies that support the healing process in our bodies. Because, you know, I like options. That's very empowering. It gives you the power of choice. You get to choose what strategies feel sustainable to you and which ones you want to leverage at the intensity that works for you. And remember, there are times in our lives where we might want to leverage one harder and times where we will shift away from one and toward another depending on what our lives look like at the time. I am always highly skeptical of anyone that says there's only one way to do anything. I believe that there are usually many ways to do the same thing. And my job as a coach is to teach you all of the options so that you can create the way that works for you. So let's just list out all the strategies And then we'll dive a little deeper into each one. To make this really simple, I split these into three main categories with a last sort of supportive category. So the first one is what to eat. So what to eat has to do with the food that you're choosing to put in and what it's made out of. Then there's how much to eat. How much food should you eat? 
And then there's also when to eat, what time to eat, how often to eat, okay? So what, how much, and when. So then the last category is a supportive category that has to do with implementing things in your lifestyle that support the process of healing. In the category of what, I'm going to be talking about reducing or eliminating concentrated processed starches and sugars, okay? The second thing I'll be talking about is getting rid of the ultra-processed chemical-laden foods, so essentially eating real food. Then I'll be talking about what do you do with these complex carbs, what do you do with fat, and also how to increase the satiety of your food by upping protein. So we'll go into each of those specifically. The second component of how much to eat really has to do with overeating. Okay, so we're going to be talking about curbing overeating by tuning into satiety and hunger signals, which looks a lot like portion control and avoiding snacking. Then the third component is when to eat. This is essentially talking about intermittent fasting and how to use this as a tool to allow your body to burn more body fat. And then the supportive category, the fourth component, has to do with exercise, stress management, optimizing your sleep, and dialing in your hydration and your pooping, okay? I teach my clients in this same order these strategies, and we build on and refine them as we apply them to find the right combination, aka your lifestyle, that creates the results we are looking for in a way that feels sustainable. The very first things I implement with new clients is a little bit of each. Usually on my first session, I'm telling people these basic things. Reduce or eliminate refined carbs and toxic oils. Okay, so we're drastically reducing packaged processed foods by that one thing alone, and we're getting rid of the worst offenders, which are flour and sugar. I also ask them to stop snacking. Eat only when you're hungry and stop when you're satisfied. Okay, these are very simple. I really want you to hear those three things. They sound like, yeah, 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 I've heard them before. No, slow down. Are you doing these? For many people with type 2 diabetes, if all they did were these three simple things, their blood sugars would look so much better, if not normal. They are simple, but they aren't necessarily easy, right? Are you only eating when you're hungry? Really? Are you snacking? Have you already cut out flour and sugar? See what I'm saying? These things are not easy. They are simple, but not easy. So let's go through each of these and I'll offer more rationale and practical understanding around them for you so that you can implement them. So let's start with what to eat. So the first step in what to eat is to reduce sugar and flour. These are low hanging fruit. Your blood sugar monitor is already, if you're using one, showing you why you don't tolerate these. When you eat these things, your blood sugar shoots up 50 plus points and then has a really hard time coming back down. Eating them multiple times a day in the average American diet is going to result in blood sugar trends that climb throughout the day and keep you above normal. They cause inflammation 
in the way of water retention, bloating and swelling, and even body pain, joint pain, right? They drive cravings and over-desire for foods that are rich in sugar and flour. Why? Because they create this concentrated pleasure response in your brain that it's not designed to handle. And that intense pleasure creates intense cravings for more. They drive overeating because they lack nutrition and they do not trigger your satiety signals very well. And then last, as far as sugar and flour goes, they're clearly counterproductive because your body doesn't tolerate them. And if it helps you to think of these like a food allergy or sensitivity, please do. The second step in what to eat is to avoid toxic oils. And I'm talking about corn oil, vegetable oil, seed oils extracted from plant seeds like sunflower, canola, soy. And then also this includes margarine, right? Like I can't believe it's not butter or Crisco is another one. These cause inflammation and they drive insulin resistance and heart disease. They're usually found in packaged and processed foods that lack nutritional value And I like to say, if you leave them out in nature, no animal will eat them. (laughs) Like that should tell you something. (laughs) Okay, the third thing in the what to eat is to reduce complex carbs like fruit, rice, potatoes, corn, oats, beans. These are all real food. They're not refined processed foods, but they are carbohydrates that can increase your blood sugar. And if you struggle with abnormally elevated blood sugar levels, cutting back on these can really help your trends. Do you need to go like keto style, ketogenic diet style? No. I love eating to your meter and testing to eliminate foods and portions of these that increase your blood sugar more than 30 points. If you just paid attention and identified how to eat these things in a way that don't spike you more than 30 points, you're doing awesome. For me, if I eat a normal serving of rice, like I'm gonna see an 80 to 100 point increase in my blood sugar. Like I would like for you to check that out for yourself. There are some ways to avoid the spikes with these by eating them with other foods that can reduce the spike. I covered that in the podcast called Blood Sugar Hacks That Will Change Your Life. So you can go back and listen to that just to give you maybe a little more comfort or room to include these in your diet. But in general, I want you to eat to your meter and identify which of these are spiking you and keeping you high. The fourth thing in the what to eat section is to consume healthy fats in moderation. Okay, so I'm talking about natural oils like olive oil and coconut and avocado oil, talking about butter and lard and nut butters, cheeses and dairy, avocado and olives, eggs, bacon, healthy fats, okay? Remember, we are looking to liberate stored energy in our body fat as a means to healing long-term insulin resistance, especially fat that's found in the liver, the pancreas, around your organs, in your skeletal muscle, all those ectopic fat storage sites. 
We want to liberate the fat from these areas to help you reverse your insulin resistance. So every teaspoon of fat you're eating is a teaspoon of fat you will not burn from your own body fat stores. Does that mean you shouldn't be eating fat? No, just eat less anywhere you can, right? So maybe you're gonna choose some low-fat cottage cheese or dairy or use lighter butter and mayonnaise or switch out the extra guac for extra salsa and cilantro. Like choose leaner cuts of meats like shrimp or chicken instead of brisket or sausage. Don't be restrictive, just be strategic. And then the last thing I want to share with you in the what to eat category is to focus on protein for satiety and preserving lean body mass. I have such a deeper appreciation for this since being exposed to the Optimizing Nutrition website and the PE ratio diet principles taught by Ted Naiman. Eating more protein is going to decrease eating everything else because it's so satisfying. And the everything else is mostly energy, right? So if it's not protein, it's probably carbohydrates or fats. And these are energy, forms of energy, food energy. Because we have plenty of stored energy in the body that we want to burn, it's best to eat less energy in our diet and focus on nutrition by consuming mostly protein and fibrous vegetables that are rich in like vitamins and minerals, okay? So when I'm saying protein, I'm talking animal meat, pork, chicken, beef. And if you're like us, you might even have like some goat in the freezer. <laughs> I'm also talking about seafood, fish, shrimp, scallops, oysters, all of that. I'm talking about dairy. Cottage cheese is a great source of protein. Greek yogurt is also another great source. Cheese typically has protein in it. And then for those of you who want plant sources, which are truly inferior, but I'm sensitive to those of you who need a vegetarian-like diet, you can find protein in soy products like tofu, You can find them in beans like chickpeas and lentils and nuts and hemp seeds. Okay, so these are all good plant sources, but they're not going to have as much protein as animal sources. So as we age, we will have to consciously work to preserve our muscle mass or we're going to lose it. Okay, I'm watching my parents and my husband's parents literally shrink between the few months that I see them. It seems to almost accelerate over time. So your muscle mass is your insurance policy against losing your functional capacity and your cognitive function as you age. Translation, your muscle mass is the most valuable physical asset you have to maintain your independence and your functioning as you get older. It's directly tied to how well your brain will work, not just your physical strength. You don't want to lose muscle, so you're going to need to work to keep it as you get older. And you're going to need protein, even more protein, as you get older in order to do this. If there's one thing you need to be eating as much of as possible, it's protein. And I dare you to try to eat too much. (laughs) Have you ever tried to eat like two steaks 
right? You might be able to squeeze in another broccolini or you definitely have space for dessert, but it's kind of hard to get like two chicken thighs down, you know? So you can't really eat too much. Okay, so that's it for what? What to eat. Now let's talk about how much. I teach all my clients to use their natural hunger and satiety signals to guide this. In our culture with the typical Western upbringing, we are taught and modeled to eat for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with hunger and nourishing our bodies, right? We eat because it's time to eat or because other people are eating, because it's someone's birthday or someone's funeral, because we're celebrating or at some kind of social event, because it just feels good. And sometimes because we don't want to feel bad, like stressed out or lonely. We need to separate the decisions to eat food for nutrition and energy from all these other reasons, which I call your relationship with food. The simplest way to do this is to commit to getting clear with yourself about why you are eating. It starts with, am I hungry? And when am I satisfied? As your hunger hormones balance by applying what I taught you already about what to eat, your hunger signals will become a dependable, natural guide for how much to eat. Your job is to pay attention and honor that. What I expect you will discover and what I've discovered for myself is that you don't need to eat nearly as much or as often when you are allowing your hunger and satiety signals to call the shots. You might be shocked. So then there's when to eat. This is all about teaching your body to use fat as a primary fuel source when you aren't eating all day long. (laughs) The average American is putting something that contains carbohydrates in their mouth an average of eight times per day spread out over 16 hours of the day for a total of around 300 grams of carbs per day. This keeps us in a fed state Increasing our blood sugars, increasing our insulin levels, which then tells your body to store fat. So you're in fat storage mode most of the time. No wonder most of us slowly accumulate stored energy, body fat, over years and decades before we develop insulin resistance and then type 2 diabetes. What we need to do instead is create more opportunity for our bodies to switch to fat burning mode, which requires us to stop giving our bodies energy through our diet all the time. So I have two podcasts all about fasting and how to implement this strategy. Essentially, fasting is like a muscle that gets stronger with practice. And you want to begin by simply shortening your eating window and avoiding snacking in between your meals. So that looks like deciding to go from grazing over 14 hours to three meals in 12 hours, for example. Also, this tool is best integrated into your lifestyle after you have cut out processed refined carbs and balanced your hunger hormones. That's really important. I don't think it's a good idea to start 
intermittent fasting until you have stopped spiking your blood sugar and provoking your insulin levels to be very high all day. Recently, I've played with how to use your blood sugar numbers to guide how long to continue a fast, and that's called data-driven fasting. I learned that from the Optimizing Nutrition Camps. Pretty cool, and I love teaching my clients that too. I just want to share with you a quick story about a client I've been working with where we did this component of her teaching, and she was very wary of using fasting. She didn't think she was going to be able to do anything longer than like 12 hours, which is super normal for my clients. And within one day, I received an email from her that 16 hours was totally doable, and I just had to laugh because... She was super dubious about it, and I didn't think she was going to really try it even, even though she said she would. I knew she would do what she said she was going to do, but I just had to laugh because as adverse as she was, it was so easy for her. And so I just want to tell you that to encourage you that when you're ready to try some fasting, it's going to probably be a lot easier than you anticipate. Okay, so the last sort of accessory group of strategies involves supporting healthy weight loss and blood sugar levels through exercise, through managing stress, through optimizing sleep, and through hydrating and pooping excellently, LOL. (laughs) So I never prescribe anything for my clients in the way of lifestyle changes, even exercise, but... Most of my clients, if not all of them, eventually decide they want to incorporate movement as a way to support their healing process. And that can look like walking after dinner, or it can look like lifting or group exercise. And I have a whole podcast on this topic as well called Why Exercise Doesn't Reverse Type 2 Diabetes. And in that podcast, I do talk about why exercise alone doesn't reverse type 2 diabetes, but why it can be a great tool to support the process. Okay, we all know that stress isn't good for us, but many of us don't know how to decrease our stress levels, right? We can't necessarily remove the stressors in our lives, you know, like our kids or our jobs or whatever. Um, But I recommend learning the skill of shifting our response to whatever we're perceiving is stressful. You can actually see stressful events show up in your blood sugar trends. I just saw a post last night in the Fasting Method Facebook group where a person who was fasting showed her blood sugar trend for the day and there was this big bump in the evening and she was sharing that that was the moment she had been speaking to her (laughs) ex-husband. And she said, this is evidence that he's still not good for me. (laughs) So some of my clients have a strong stress component as a contributor to their insulin resistance. And remember, perceived stress turns on your fight or flight response in your nervous system. That signals your body to produce stress hormones like cortisol and norepinephrine. And those hormones will increase your heart rate, your breathing, increase your blood pressure, and guess what? Increase your blood sugar. And all of this is meant to help you physically respond to that perceived threat. 
This is all by human design and serves us well when it's an acute, dangerous situation that might be life-threatening, right? But when activated chronically by a stressful job or relationship or financial circumstance, it can quite literally destroy our health. So it is helpful to assess whether or not stress is driving your insulin resistance and learn skills to shift your nervous system into a state of safety if you see that stress is an obstacle for you. You know, sleep deprivation also activates similar stress hormone pathways in our bodies and can also be a driver of insulin resistance. So I also assess this and address it with my clients as a priority of healing. And then we also need to support the body in liberating body fat by making sure all channels of elimination are flowing. So that means ensuring you are hydrating and urinating clear fluids as well as pooping regularly. Keeping these elimination pathways open allows your body to feel safer in emptying your fat cells, as this is where we often store or sequester toxins like pesticides, like plastics, and other environmental chemicals. You know, there are some wild stories out there of fasters who liberate a lot of body fat quickly, experiencing strange side effects from whatever was in those fat stores, like anything from weird rashes to euphoria from recreational drugs taken years ago. Okay, so now that we've spent some time inventorying all these different strategies that can be leveraged to achieve reversal of insulin resistance, I want to show you how you can lean harder into some and let go of others in different seasons of your life by just sharing a little bit about my journey. So using me as an example, like I go through periods of time when I'm not able to fast, right? Because I'm pregnant or I'm breastfeeding. And so I really have to let go of that fasting lever. For me, fasting like multiple day fast, that's what I'm letting go of. I'm still doing 18 hours because I'm not hungry or whatever, but I'm not pulling that fasting lever nearly as hard. Instead, I'm going to really need to focus on not overeating. So like that's the lever that I really lean into when my body's changing and I'm growing another human. (laughs) is that I tune in very closely to my hunger and satiety signals so that I'm not overeating. And I'm making sure I'm staying pretty low carb while I'm doing it and getting my movement in as well as I can and how I feel in my body. So then when I'm done breastfeeding and I really want to get after losing that body fat, I might do longer fasts. So I might pull that fasting lever a little harder And I might actually need to up my fat intake in order to allow me to do that without getting hungry. And I'm also still keeping those carbs pretty low um, because I'm not trying to spike my insulin and put myself into fat storage mode. Now, there have been times in my life where I've been training for like a trail race, like an ultra marathon or something. And in those times, I know that I'll probably need to eat more carbohydrates, so I'll probably be upping my complex carbs at that time. Usually the exercise is making up for that, right? Because I'm fueling my runs with more carbohydrate. 
But I'm also making sure I'm sticking to my eating window and I'm not overeating at mealtime. So this is what is beautiful about having so many strategies to reach for. You can dial some up and others down to fit your current goals or just whatever feels good to you, like what you're excited about. Recently, I've been playing with continuing to lose body fat while eating every day. So this has been a challenge that I never thought I could create that, like consistent weight loss while eating every single day. (laughs) So I'm eating way more protein right now. And when I say way more protein, I'm talking like 150 grams of protein a day. And I'm trying to keep that 40% or more of my total energy intake, like my total daily caloric intake, 40% or more needs to come from protein. And that means I'm eating less fat while staying low carb. So I'm not fasting more than 18 hours a day. And guess what? It works. It's just another strategy. It's not better or worse than the low carb, high fat, intermittent fasting approach I've used for years to get the same results is just a different way to go about it, right? And I'm still playing with and experiencing it. And there'll be times where I'll probably return back to the way I was doing it in the past. And then times where this will be the strategy that I love to use. And then there's all the other ones, right? How much am I exercising, for example? So what strategy calls to you in this moment? Where do you want to focus your attention? Is it what to eat? Do you need to cut back on processed food or do you want to try increasing your protein? Is it how much? Are you overeating? Are you snacking? Are you grazing? Is it when to eat? Are you giving your body time to tap into stored energy and burn body fat? Pick a strategy that you want to implement or dial in and play with it. And I want you to put it to the test. And if you want help in redesigning or refining your lifestyle, I am taking two more clients into my weekly schedule right now for a total of 12 a week. You can get on it by going to my website, saratownley.com, and sending me an application for a free phone consultation. Wouldn't it be fun to talk to me in person? I think so, if I say so myself. (laughs) In fact, I just randomly made a coffee date with a local business owner and just, you know, for networking connection. And I like totally changed his life by just hanging out at a coffee shop this morning. And it was so good. He was asking me how he can coach with me. I'm like, I only coach people who reverse diabetes. (laughs) Anyways, that was fun. And I would love to have some fun on the phone getting to know you and what's been hard for you and how you want to create something better. All right, I'll see you on the next podcast. Okay, don't leave yet. You're going to want to hear about this. If you love my podcast, if I'm the only sane voice you found on this subject, If I've already helped you, you need to check out my online course. It's a start to finish, step-by-step video course that teaches you all the tools you need to know to beat this disease. You can find it on my website, saratownley.com. 
along with lots of other free tools that will make taking care of your diabetes so much easier. So get over there right now. See you there.